Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 20 of the Australian Hiker podcast. Today's episode is titled The Overland Track, A Day on the Trail, and this is the second of our series of three bonus episodes on the Overland Track, which we undertook in February of 2017. In today's episode, we're going to be going through and doing, well, I've gone through and picked out a typical day on the trail, just to show you what it's like from start to finish. I hope you enjoy. It's uh, 7.25 on day 4, 8th of February. Uh, we've just gotten up, had breakfast, uh, we've packed, uh, and once we've done this recording we'll head off. We had a discussion about it last night. We were originally going to do, go through and do Mount Ossa uh, and stay at Kiora Hut tonight, um, but after talking to a guide and having a look through some of the books, we had actually planned on doing a day trip to Pine Valley, but we decided we're actually going to overnight at Pine Valley. That'll potentially allow us to do the Acropolis and the Parthenon as, as, as hikes, possibly one when we get there and, and one the day after before we leave. But we'll see how we go. We'll, we'll at least be able to do one. Talking to the, the guy that was here last night with the group, uh, he said he's, he's yet to do them. But all his hiking friends say that um, both the walls of, the Jerusalem, walls of Jerusalem and um, Pine Valley are the two best hiking spots in Tasmania. Uh, and I'd, I'd sort of heard that and sort of wanted to do it, so this, this gives us a good opportunity to do it as well. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we're in for some quite different um, terrain today. Uh, as, as we said, we spent a bit of time chatting to the guy, one of the guides, and, um, and they were saying it's quite lovely from uh, here on in. Not that it hasn't been, but, you know, there have been, been some moments probably... S- expecting less um, less mud and less tree branches but there is an element of that and the falls are pretty spectacular that we'll see on the way today. Um, the weather's looking probably I think changeable, the wind's getting up um, and the, the cloud, there is high cloud but uh, not too much so we can still see some blue sky and uh, we'll just have to see what happens with the weather as the day goes on. Um, because we are skipping Kiora Hut and uh, going through to um, Bert Nichols Hut, all upwards, probably around about a 19 kilometre day, but the um, the actual terrain is is, is relatively easy. Um, the estimate to uh, Kiora Hut was three to four hours if you don't do uh, Mount Ossa, and around about four hours um, from Kiora to uh, to Bert Nichols Hut. So it's uh, terrain-wise, it shouldn't be too difficult, but it will be a longer sort of day. Um, all right, talk to you later. Bye. Okay, so we've just gone through and discussed that uh, the fact that we were going to go through and change our our predetermined plan, and in this kind sort of situation, um, it's 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 operating on the fly a bit, I suppose. Uh, but we, as I said, we'd always planned to go to to Pine Valley. We just haven't planned to allow as much time, and it was only after talking to uh, 
a guide who regularly does the overland track who recommended that you know this really was something that was worthwhile doing that we decided that um yeah our preference was to go through and have a look at pine valley and spend more time there so again rather than sticking to the plan um we still um still we're going to finish at the end of the trip uh but we do we're just going to make a slight variation yeah it's an interesting conversation because we had a a similar conversation to many others and uh that many others had with uh some of the guides that were there and i think the thing for me uh that i found most interesting was that people had their plan and they were really looking for confirmation of their plan uh, whereas we approached it from the perspective of, you know, what what would these people do, these guides do, um, if they could do anything, um, and how did that relate to what we had planned to do? So we're a little bit more receptive to change, perhaps, than others. Uh, and it was interesting when some got some advice that was, you know, well, you might be better off thinking about this as opposed to something else. Um, they they were quite set in their in their way, and uh, they really weren't very receptive uh, to reconsidering what they might do uh, in the next leg of the trip. It's nine oh nine on eighth of February. We've re- just reached the uh, Pelion Gap, which is the the drop off point for going up to Mount Ossa or going up to um, uh, Mount Pelion East. Uh, Mount Oss is 1,670 metre summit, and Mount Pelion East is 1,433 metres. And there's at least one couple that's actually going um, going to uh, to do uh, Mount Pelion East rather than Mount Ossa. Here at Pelion Gap, we're at 1,113 metres, uh, so we've had a, a bit of a steep climb up from, I think we were almost, almost 500 metres from where we were this morning. Uh, so it was a hard slog through some really nice forest. Um, it was probably, in some respects, I think it was probably nicer than yesterday. Um, the track condition was probably a bit worse today. They've actually used sawn trees and turned into slabs, so the, the path is a bit uh, ornate in some respects, a bit curved, and there are some sections of bridge and pathway that have actually collapsed. Uh, so um, I'll post some photos of the website of that, but this is this so far has been probably the poorest condition of path. A lot of tree roots, not as much mud as yesterday, but still having to pick our way through. So as a result, between the, the picking our way through the roots and, and the ascent, we've only been averaging 2.7 kilometres an hour. Um, and we've done 4.26 kilometres. Um, really nice sort of area. I can actually see a person up on the one of the uh, going uh, going up. Going up. Um, they've got a nice red jacket on, so they're pretty easy to spot. Um, uh, and so they're so on on their way up. So there's uh, there's currently a group of three and a group of two that are that are doing the ascent up. As mentioned, we decided not to worry about the ascents. We're going to press on because we actually want to do uh, do Pine Valley, which we think, uh, from our perspective, is, is going to have more value for us. Um, looks like quite a nice, mount- nice sort of mountain. I don't think it's as steep an ascent uh, as um, uh, as some of the others are. Uh, I think we're actually closer to the summit uh, than uh, than some of the other mountains we looked at yesterday and the day before. Uh, the weather's held out quite well. It's a bit windy up the top here, so it's going to be uh, you know, when the when the wind blows, it's actually quite cool, so we won't stay here too long. 
uh, but the sun's out, uh, the clouds seems to be burning off. I mean, the forecast was for uh, rain to start settling in, in today, so we'll see what happens later on in the day. There is a Currawong warning sign here as well, and it does seem to be an issue all along the track where the Currawongs uh, will start trying to ram rummage through your packs and, then, and apparently can undo zips. Um, so, uh, and I know last night uh, where we were staying at... Um, uh, at Pelion Hut, uh, there was a possum there as well. So, again, with food, you need to make sure it's uh, protected and put away, not left outside at night time, otherwise the possums will go through it. And if you are walking up to either of the uh, the mountain peaks, uh, pack covers are a good idea just to stop the, the birds from getting in there. Uh, yeah, so as Tim said, it's uh, it's been a tough but really beautiful walk through the rainforest um, there's some um, spectacular spots um, always thinking about morning tea and afternoon tea uh, and there are some very nice spots too if, you know uh, if we'd been a bit later in the day it would have been lovely just to sit and, and watch the world go by um, Tim's got plenty of photos so you'll see lots of those um, there is a bit of uh, wood and uh, tree roots and um, mud but uh, I and at the hut, uh, even as, as uh, recent as this morning when we were leaving, um, people were talking about the mud and the tree roots. But, you know, this is a wilderness area. Um, it, you know, <laughs> you, you're going to encounter these sorts of things. Um, it does reinforce the need uh, to make sure that you're sure-footed and uh, to make sure that you're able to uh, clamber over uh, different or variable uh, terrain um, within a couple of metres. So anyway, it's just the way it is. But yeah, we're looking forward to a lovely day. It's looking pretty good at the moment and hopefully we'll have a bit of a descent for the next little while. In the previous episode on the Overland Track, we talked about not being able to do uh, Cradle Mountain because the, the mountain had been whited out. Uh, for today's walk, we had originally planned to do Mount Ossa uh, and go up the top of Mount Ossa. But we decided, as as, as mentioned uh, in that last little snippet, that we we wanted to do Pine Valley because we'd heard it, it was much better. And as it turned out, it was a good move. Uh, apart from the fact that we really enjoyed Pine Valley, there were a number of hikers who uh, who went up Mount Ossa, uh, and we discovered uh, when we saw them later on in the day that the winds became quite high and the, the fog settled in, uh, so it widened out the top of the mountain, so they weren't able to actually summit uh, Mount Ossa at all. So, again, it's a personal preference. Um, as, as we've said previously, we're, we're not really into climbing hills or climbing mountains for the sake of it, uh, and in this case here, it was probably a good move. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, I found it a little bit interesting that there was this mad rush in the morning uh, to get up to the platform uh, near the turnoff to Mount Ossa. Uh, the wind, we got there quite early. The wind was picking up um, already. And, uh, you know, we could see people climbing as, uh, uh, as we were taking photos and preparing to move on. Uh, and even some of those people didn't make it to the top. Uh, so the conditions turned uh, quite uh, poor very early on. And... Uh, you know, I don't want to be, uh, as Tim said, we don't tend to uh, go in seek of summits just for the sake of uh, climbing the summit. 
But there's an awful lot of effort that goes into <laughs> climbing some of those mountains and uh, getting to some of those peaks. Uh, and, you know, from where we were standing, it started to become quite clear relatively early in the morning that it was going to be a challenge to get to the peak and, and be able to get a good view as well. Now, we also mentioned um, the issue with wildlife on the trail as far as uh, food security. Um, throughout the trail, you'll see warning signs on, um, on, on a lot of the areas, particularly where you, you drop your packs off and, and walk up hills, uh, warning about kararongs, which are, they look very similar to crows with a bit of white fleck on them is probably the best way to describe them for, for people who aren't Australians and aren't, aren't familiar with them. Very intelligent birds. Uh, they they recognise uh, that you know, the 8,500 hikers a year coming through uh, have food in their packs and, and obviously sometimes people aren't, aren't, aren't good at securing their food and they can actually open zips on packs, uh, which is, uh, again, they've, uh, they've skills they've picked up. Uh, so as mentioned, we, uh, we actually used pack covers, not so much from to keep the water out of the packs. We, uh, we had internal liners on our packs, but that was more to keep the, uh, the kararongs from out of them. When we were staying at Windermere Hut, we, um, we did mention possums as well. And the possum at Windermere Hut actually visited us three times through the night. We'd uh, consciously put our food at the bottom of our, towards the bottom of our tent, just outside our sleeping bags, just to make sure that nothing was going to get into them. And sure enough, we had this possum trying to get through the tent, get to our, to our food, which was in Ziploc bags. So even though food can sort of give out an odor, uh, you'd think in Ziploc bags, they'd be fairly secure but the possum was obviously aware it was there. And we managed to shoo it off the first time, came back twice throughout the night. Um, so again, definitely don't leave food inside your pack outside your tent. Otherwise, the possum, they've got good claws and good teeth. Uh, they're likely to start chewing through your pack or ripping into your pack. And the possum was uh, quite determined uh, to get into the tent. Uh, he came up underneath the tent and started to push a paw up through the very small crack in the um, uh, in the timber platform that we were camped on and it took a bit of time it was a bit of a uh, bit of a rush of blood um, and it took a bit of time to work out what was going on and it also took me a bit of time to wake Tim up <laughs> who was all who was very very uh, very tired from the day's walk and well and truly sleeping so um yeah, we, we managed to sort it, but uh, it, it was a bit of a surprise and a bit of a, um, a, a flurry uh, to work out what to do and, uh, you know, work out what it was. <laughs> and talking to uh, other hikers the next morning, there would have been sort of probably um, not, not the entire 60 people staying there that night, but there would have been probably at least 40 people staying there that night. And I, I talked to a number of them and a number of them said the possum came and visited their site as well. So it obviously decided it couldn't get couldn't get food at one, and then it just progressed along until it had some luck. This is something I thought would, was worth mentioning. Um, we stayed in the hut last night. Again, as I said, we, we were looking at tenting, but decided there was wasn't enough camping platforms with the number of people that were going to be coming through. So it was going to be pretty crowded. So we thought we'd go inside the hut. Uh, it makes it easier when you don't have to pack up the tent in the morning. It makes it quicker to get away. But one of the drawbacks is, um, I must admit, I tend not to be a fan of sleeping in huts unless the weather's absolutely atrocious. 
um, because you get a lot of people who aren't used to doing it. So hut was reasonably full last night, or probably about 60 or 70% full last night. Um, and we had a group, a large group, who obviously weren't used to hut conditions. Uh, they arrived fairly early in the day, put their stuff in their rooms, uh, and didn't start setting up for going to bed until everyone had been in bed for an hour. So there was an awful lot of noise with people <laughs> setting up sleeping bags and moving packs around and dropping stuff on the floor repeatedly. Yeah, I want to know what that thing was that was really heavy and was dropped five times in a row. That just got me, but anyway. And people were sleeping, you know, we we had only just settled in, but there were others who were well and truly um, asleep. And, um, yeah, I can put it down to you know, lack of awareness or lack of courtesy um, or lack of sense of others, I don't know, but it's a lack of something. (laughs) So, yeah, as I said, yeah, we we tend to, as I said, unless the weather's really bad, we tend to get a better sleep when we're in the tent. Uh, We don't have to worry about disturbing people when we get up. So, uh, yeah, tent is the preference for me. I think I've mentioned this a few times in previous uh, podcasts and in some of the articles. I'm not a big fan of huts unless it's absolutely necessary, if the, unless the weather's horrendously bad or there's just no camping platforms available, that um, I prefer to sleep outside where I can. And I think it's it's one of those sort of things where everyone obviously has different rhythms and different routines. Um, and uh, one of our terms or jargon terms we've gone through and described on the website is hike at midnight which is basically that you know, most hikers, because there's nothing to do when it gets dark and they typically have an early start and they're tired, they tend to be asleep by 9 o'clock. And these huts, they don't have external power, so really it's only headlamps that tend to operate. So really when you're going through and staying in huts, uh, you've got to work on the basis that you know, 9 o'clock is at the latest uh, or if there's a lot of people in bed asleep, you've got to think about that and sort of either go outside or uh, not not create too much noise. And as I said, it, it surprised me that this large group that had been there since mid-afternoon hadn't actually unpacked and set up for the night and only chose to do that you know, at sort of 9 o'clock at night when a number of people had already been in bed asleep for about an hour. So it's one of those sort of things that, as I said, yeah, if you, if you tend to be a bit more self-sufficient and stay in tents, uh, you, you don't tend to have to worry too much about what people are or aren't doing in the huts themselves. I think, Tim, you're sounding a little bit like a grumpy old man. <laughs> and at the risk of sounding like a grumpy old woman, um, yeah, I do, I do think there was a lack of something. Um, and I think mostly it was probably awareness because we did find that um, once someone was... Uh, advised that you know it was a little bit noisy and you know could could they keep it down a little bit and uh, we didn't do this but it was certainly somebody that I observed uh, asking others to uh, be quiet Um, people were quite shocked they hadn't realized they hadn't realized the noise that they were making I'm not sure how they couldn't realize but um, again I'll probably stop talking now so I don't sound like a grumpy old woman (laughs) It's um, around about 10.38. Uh, we've just arrived at um, uh, at Cura Hut. Um, so about 8.5 kilometres. We're averaging about 2.8 kilometres per hour. Um, we, again, we had to... They're doing a lot of track work on this section of the trail. Uh, there's a lot of timber 
uh, off to the side of the trail, a lot of tools. Uh, so this is the section they're obviously concentrating on at the moment. And it does need it. There's a lot of uh, very wet areas, a lot of very heavily worn trails, which means you're having to pick your way through rocks uh, and puddles and mud on the way through. Certainly not as bad as yesterday, uh, but um, I think it would have the potential if you had a bit of rain through here. Um, reasonably good walk overall though. Uh, so we, you know, it's, we're, we've still got an hour or so before lunch, uh, and we'll um, we'll certainly head off in the next few minutes towards um, Duquesne Hut, which is the old hut, uh, before we arrive at Bert Nichols Hut, also known as Windy Ridge. And that's supposedly around about nine kilometres or three hours. Uh, so that'll get us there, including lunch. Uh, that'll get us there uh, sometime between two, two to three o'clock, depending on how long a break we have. Uh, and how long we spend at the falls as well. So by adding the falls in, that probably will be closer to three o'clock. There are two, two uh, off, two um, optional uh, short routes to looking at the waterfalls on the way through. Um, and certainly uh, there's the one, first one is Dalton and Ferguson Falls, which is about a kilometre return, one to one and a half hour according to the map. And then another one, which is Harnett Falls, one and a half kilometres, return at about half an hour to an hour uh, and they're supposed, supposed to be pretty good so everyone I've talked to said yeah definitely definitely worth worthwhile going and doing it yeah I'm looking forward to uh, having the falls or checking out the falls and um, if we can get there in time for lunch that'll be probably the first time we've had a really lovely spot to sit and eat our lunch so uh, fingers crossed It was uh, interesting we, uh, when we stopped at uh, Kiora Hut, uh, which was where we originally planned on staying if we had a uh, summit at Mount Ossa. Uh, we just stopped there for have a, a bit of morning tea break and use the toilet facilities. And we had a look inside the hut to see what it was like. Uh, Kiora is one of the smaller huts, uh, just a single room with a uh, kitchen and, and some tables down one end and some uh, couple of sleeping platforms up the other end. It's designed ideally for probably about a maximum of 16 people, although in emergency conditions or hard conditions you could get a lot more in there if, if you squeeze people onto the floor area. Uh, but what it did have was a huge number of sleeping platforms outside. Uh, they had a series of group platforms where some of the big groups tend to use, and they had a lot of uh, individual platforms. So even if you had have had potentially 60 people end up there, between the hut itself and the platforms, there was a lot of area to sleep. So it would have been quite a nice sleeping area if you had have chose to stay there. Yeah, I agree with that. Again, I think they were probably um, the nicest platforms that we'd seen. So they were quite, um, quite sheltered, quite secluded from each other. And uh, they were quite artistic as well because they were different shapes and different levels. And, uh, you know, it, it was actually quite... Um, a nice experience wandering around and having a look at the, the various different platforms that had been put in place. And one thing that um, we did mention as well, that, that um, they were doing a lot of work in that section of the trail. Overall, the trail itself was pretty well maintained. We did come across some really badly rotted out sections of uh, uh, a boardwalk and we've got some images in the written article on the overland track if you want to go onto our website and have a look uh, but overall considering the amount of moisture and how much uh, how much exposure to the elements are they're in really good condition so but you do have the odd section here and there you do need to watch out for
Now, this next recording that comes up, we uh, recorded this uh, at one of the waterfalls that we'd gone in to have a look at. It is quite noisy, so the background noise that you'll hear is actually the waterfall, uh, but I thought it was worthwhile leaving this in is just, just to show you how loud and how noisy it actually was. Uh, well worth looking at, well worth going in and seeing. We, we didn't bother to go into both sets of waterfalls. We just went into the first pair, not the second pair. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say definitely allow time to go off and look at least one of these sets of waterfalls. My apologies for the noise in the background. We're just at uh, Ferguson Falls, which is one of two waterfalls just off the track. We just went and saw Dalton Falls, and it's uh, you view it from front on. Ferguson Falls is a much bigger water drop, and you're viewing it from sort of side side front on. And it's much much noisier. Uh, both pretty spectacular, both well worth doing. The um, sign says it takes about an hour return. Really, we've done uh, two falls in half an hour, and we're just having lunch. So realistically, you could probably do it in... Um, I mean, the up, up bit's going to be a bit slower, but probably about 40 minutes is where you'd be looking at uh, quite comfortably to do it. But yeah, well worth doing. And this is the first of the two side trips that have waterfalls there's another one further down the track yeah it's a bit noisy um, but they're quite spectacular and um, the amount of water that's tipping over the top of um, Ferguson Falls is just amazing so uh, definitely worth seeing it's 4.15 uh, we're at Bert Nichols Hut uh, we've been here since 3.30, so we've just got ourselves set up, uh, worked out where all the facilities are, uh, and going to um, just go and have afternoon tea in a little while. took us roughly about eight hours to get here, and that was including uh, lunch and breaks, and a side trip down to uh, Diagon and Ferguson Falls. Uh, we relatively slow going. Um, from, there was a lot of tree roots, not as much mud as we had yesterday, but certainly a lot of tree roots. Uh, and that, that slowed us down, uh, having to pick our way through there. Um, we've noticed over the last two days in particular, the rescue helicopter's been going backwards and forwards. So it looks like they're pulling people out for various conditions uh, as, they, uh, as, as things occur. Um, all up, we covered just on 19 kilometres today. Uh, including the side trip down to the uh, the falls, uh, so it was a reasonably distance-wise. It's probably the biggest day we've had, uh, but the uh, it certainly wasn't as steep as uh, say the first day was. Um. Uh, yeah, nineteen kilometres um, was you know pretty tough going. It was a long day. Um, the inclines and the declines. Uh, in amongst the mud and the, the uh, tree roots uh, was particularly hard going um, but as I said it was um, 19 kilometres so you would expect that it was we're, gonna, we're feeling a little bit tired at this point in time So tomorrow we're heading off towards Pine Valley um, and we're going to be uh, doing more than likely as long as the weather is good we plan is to do uh, the labyrinth and the Acropolis and we'll probably end up doing one tomorrow afternoon 
uh, and then um, uh, one the next morning before heading back out onto the main trail and doing uh, down to Narcissus Hut. Uh, we'll see how it goes, see what the weather's like and play it by ear. We'll do at least one of those, uh, but we'll just see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. We've heard a lot about um, uh, Pine Valley and uh, how lovely it is and uh, certainly the Acropolis. Um, so it should be a lovely day, I think. Just um, a bit on uh, Bert Nichols' hut. Uh, Bert Nichols' hut, uh, I don't know if it is or not, but uh, certainly it looks like probably the largest hut on the whole trail. It sleeps uh, about 30 to 36 people on sleeping platforms inside the hut. Uh, the kitchen area is very large and actually quite separate. So you can have people talking and chatting down one end of the building and the other end uh, certainly can have people sleeping. So it's uh, it's quite a large hut and quite a, um, uh, you know, there's reasonable sort of views uh, out over the lower valley, but uh, below the hut, down to the helicopter pad, when you know it's not raining and it's not blowing a gale like it was today. Uh, so good hut, lots lots of space to spare. No one was actually sleeping out on the camping platforms. Uh, everyone had chosen to sort of sleep inside. Um, we mentioned that there was a bit of mud on the trail, and certainly the the day's trip wasn't as bad as it was the previous day, uh, but it. Uh, uh, it was certainly, again, as I, as I mentioned in the written article, given the size of my feet uh, and the fact that um, the, the space between the tree roots was actually very, very small in comparison, I find that I had to sort of hop over the top of the tree roots and they were quite slippery. Uh, so having whatever footwear you wear, whether it's leather boots or, or runners or trail shoes, doesn't really matter, uh, but you need to be make sure that you've got good stability in, in muddy conditions. As we mentioned on the uh, the previous uh, episode on the Overland Track, uh, episode 18, we talked about expecting a lot more mud and a lot more rain, uh, and we didn't actually get as much mud because the rain wasn't as bad as we thought. So uh, it's a good expectation when you think that you're going to get something worse and it ends up being better than it was. Yeah, Bert Nichols' hut is uh, very interesting, um, very impressive as you walk up. Um, lots of uh, camping platforms uh, and also some really nice areas for uh, groups that have booked the the uh, group platforms and uh, yeah large large um, and the night that we were there probably wasn't uh, ideal for camping out uh, it was pretty windy and hence the name windy ridge <laughs> that was quite apt um, and uh, though what was good about uh, Bert Nichols that we had seen a little bit but not too much along the way was a really good uh, gear area so you know uh, gear storage and uh, storing wet gear undercover uh, but indoors um, was very well catered for so obviously that's uh, in line with the sort of um, climate that you have there in addition, I also mentioned the helicopters flying backwards and forwards, and there were actually a number of people that were evacuated in the time we were doing the trip. However, a number of the flights were actually um, flying resources and equipment and staff into Pine Valley, um, uh, because it was certainly a lot easier to do that than it is to try and carry it in. There's, there's just no way knowing you could, you could do that in any economical way. 
So yeah, there were rescues, but there are also um, uh, also work going on. It's uh, 7.46, um, just finally finished dinner and, and cleaning up and just about to head to bed. So we're at, uh, uh, we've been told by the ranger who came around at dinner time just checking to make sure we had permits uh, that tomorrow is due for about 10 mils of rain. Um, and so we, uh, if that's the case, we'll probably end up doing the labyrinth. Um, they were saying that the uh, Acropolis is actually better uh, when it's sunny and clear to, to take advantage of the views. Uh, so we'll see what happens then. Yeah, it was a good walk into um, uh, the hut. Um, bit of a hard walk. Um, lots of up and down, still more mud, um, but quite beautiful and, uh, yeah, good we've had dinner and uh, a good end to a challenging day good night good night okay as mentioned in this this last recording we actually had one of the rangers come past and check to see who we were um, uh, because there are some areas on the track you can go both directions but it's up towards the end of the track nowhere else so they just wanted to make sure they knew who they had there and where people were going and they also gave us a bit of an update on what the weather conditions were like and it had been changing throughout the week you know we were expecting rain the next day and all of a sudden we'd get sun you know we'd get to the next hut and that's oh the rain's been pushed back another day so we were quite lucky really uh, the ranger that came around and chatted to us did mention that uh uh, there was expect an expectation of 10 mils in the next morning, um, and certainly uh, that's what we got. We had uh, we were the first ones to leave the hut the next day. We wanted to try and beat most of the rain, and it was fairly steady rain for for a lot of the morning until we actually got to to Pine Hut, Pine Valley Hut itself. Um, one of the things with the trail is the trail was at, uh, almost down the bottom of um, the mountain ridges or the hills that, that, that backed onto the area we were in. Uh, and that meant that the water hit the hills, ran down and found this lovely natural water course, which was the trail. Uh, so even though we'd, uh, we'd, been, we'd started off early, we still had a lot of water on the trail. And given sort of another hour, hour or so later, it would have been really wet. So um, it's often good if it is raining or it's forecast raining to sort of beat the beat the weather and get out early. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We did uh, try and get out as early as we can. We weren't actually the first group out, um, but you know we were, uh, uh, you know, uh, right up there. Um, so some of the others, uh, by the time they got going and by the time they ended up where they were going to be for the the following night uh, they definitely did uh, struggle in the the weather the rain and uh, also the amount of water on the track all right well i hope you've enjoyed uh, a typical day on the overland track and it might have I hope it's given you some sort of idea of of what the uh, the actual trail is like 
as I said, we, we did expect much more rain and much wetter conditions than we actually got. And that's one of the reasons we did plan for going in through in, Fe in February, because potentially February is the driest month and the, 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 the least wet, uh, least moisture on the trail. And as we've mentioned in the write-up, uh, potentially you can get snow at any time of the year. So it's um, it's really more an issue of um, plan for the worst and and hope for the best. And uh, you know, if you do plan for the worst, you, you can only get better conditions than what you expected. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, you know, we were up until this point pleasantly surprised. Um, it can get uh, much woollier and uh, much more difficult in terms of weather and therefore then the quality of the trail and the impact on the trail. So, you know, we we thought we were, we were doing pretty well up until this point. So, um, yeah, it's 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 been it had been good so far. Okay, that's all for today's episode. Um, episode 22 in two weeks' time will be the last of our bonus episodes on the Overland Track, and that will be a series of recordings that I did with other hikers on the trail. So that episode is uh, episode 22 is the Overland Track, Interviews from the Trail. Next week is our episode 21, which is our next regular fortnightly episode, and that episode is going to be on tracking poles. Uh, so we hope you uh, hope you find that enjoying. As mentioned, as always, um, you can download this podcast from the website through iTunes or Stitcher Radio or through SoundCloud. If you have an opportunity, please go online and download or and uh, and leave a rating for us just to help get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.